Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Greg. Good morning, everybody. Hey, let's pray together. Let's take a deep breath and acknowledge the presence of God and the people of God in the room. Thank you, Lord. We're here on the first day of the week to remember Jesus, to eat and drink the bread and the cup, to listen to the scriptures, to join together in song and pray for one another. And we join with the church all over the world, celebrating that, God, you've bought back a family from the dead by the blood of your own son, and here we are. Thank you. And so show us what it looks like a little more closely. Show us what it looks like to live as the family of God that we're called to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So yeah, again, just welcome, you guys. Welcome to Park Hill Church. Uh, my name is Evan. My wife, Sandy, and I have the joy of leading this church. Uh, this is week three of our series we're calling Receive the Holy Spirit. We're looking at who is the Holy Spirit? What does he do? What should we expect when we gather together and when we scatter all over the city? What should we expect God to accomplish through his family that's willing to obey? Like, where do we look? Well, we're looking at Jesus, uh, especially the next couple of weeks. We're doing a two-parter within the larger series. Today's part one. Um, but week one, a couple weeks ago, uh, we started by looking at creation, right? And the Holy Spirit's there at the very beginning, hovering over chaos, ready to make a home for God's family, uh, ready to make order where there was darkness. And that's who he's been ever since. He hovers like a nurturing presence, desiring to bring shalom or peace. And then last week we had Mike Pilavachi. How many of you are here for Sunday night? Yeah, anyone here for Sunday night? Yeah, and then here for Sunday morning, Mike is just a gift to the global church, and he really demonstrated ministry in the power of the Spirit, specifically around this, what Paul calls the spirituals, what we often call the spiritual gifts. He led us in praying for one another and showed us what it looks like to do that boldly in love, and it was beautiful. And now today... So today and next Sunday, like I said, are kind of part one, part two, uh, where we're talking about two signs that the Spirit is present in a church. Um, we see them, we see these signs in Jesus' life, and it's, these, it's this idea that Jesus' followers carry on Jesus' work, and so we see these things in Jesus, we should see them here in us, and it's the two things, it's a, two ideas of community and hospitality. Let me show you what I mean. We talk about these words a lot. We talk about community a lot here, less about hospitality, but that needs to change. We need to talk about it more. Um, so here's, here's how I'm going to break down, this is basically the sermon in one slide, so if you're 
If you're a slide picture taker, you can do that now. But the Holy Spirit leads us into both community and hospitality, and they're distinct. We don't want to confuse the two. Here's why. Community, think discipleship, vulnerability, family, covenant, commitment. This is reaching in. For Jesus, this was the 12 disciples. He had his community. And for us, think this is people I'm following Jesus with, and they're calling me higher, and I'm calling them higher. We have that context of trust. Now, hospitality is, if community is reaching in, hospitality is reaching out. So hospitality is good news, conversations, eating and drinking, creating spaces of welcome and safety for people far from God, really. And so for Jesus, we see this all the time in his life with tax collectors. In that day, don't think kind, sweet IRS agents. Think like conniving tax farmers who can upsell taxes at any rate they want with the Roman government supporting them with a knife. So like you, that's just horrible, horrific. So, but, but Jesus was hospitable to them as we're going to see next week. So tax collectors, sinners, which is New Testament code for prostitutes in that day. Um, and then Zacchaeus, who we're going to see next week as well. So, so when you think the practice of hospitality, think who, who are the people far from God in your life? The people that, you know, aren't in the room here and maybe they're in other spheres that you live in and you love them and they're some of your best friends, which is awesome. Uh, people far from God, imagine them at your table calling you friend. This is hospitality and it's a practice from Jesus, okay? So both community and hospitality are signs of the Spirit in a community. Why do I say that? Remember again, if you were here last Sunday night, Mike Pilavachi said something profound that I, it is radically biblical, very true, and it's this. Uh, the ministry Jesus performed in his body while on earth is the same ministry Jesus wants to perform through his body, the church today. So you look at Jesus, you're seeing a spirit-animated human who is also God, but a human who is the prototype for the body of Christ, you and me. So that's preaching the good news, healing the sick, casting out demons, raising the dead, justice for the poor, and deep community and bold hospitality. All of that. Followers of Jesus are called to do this same stuff that Jesus did by the power of the Spirit. And so today's community, next Sunday's hospitality, which is a perfect time uh, to talk about it out on the grass, one gathering being hospitable, hopefully to the city and bringing friends and neighbors to a fun, there's bounce houses and stuff, whatever. So, so hospitality. Both of these are signs of the Spirit in the church because they're central for Jesus. So here's a metaphor that I don't know if I came up with it. it I don't, if, I'm, if I'm plagiarizing someone, please let me know. Um, but I think I thought of it. I don't know. Uh, I, don't have many, I, I don't have many original thoughts. So, so think of a body breathing, diaphragm, up and down, belly in and out. And um, remember from week one, what's the Hebrew word for spirit? Anybody remember? Ruach, same Hebrew word for breath. Yeah, ruach, you can feel your breath actually moving your body when you say the word. Um, same word as spirit. So if a church is breathing, if a church is alive, then that church will be too equal and opposite, it'll be doing two equal opposite movements, right? Inhale, 
community and exhale hospitality. These are, the, these are the two essential movements of the church. And so think community inward, moving in, breathing in, cleansing your lungs, filling the body with scripture, prayer, confessing sin, cleansing your body with family that's close to God. And then whew, exhale in hospitality, moving outward, filling the world with the fragrance of Christ, gospel conversations with people far from God, just like breathing. So these are two different practices, right? That's the image we need to have in our minds. Community, hospitality. This is the church breathing, alive with the breath, the spirit of God. And it's really important we don't confuse the two. What happens when you only inhale forever? You, you die, yeah, you're gone. Um, and, and you ever snorkeled? And you know when you learn to snorkel and you're a first and you, you forget to breathe the water out when you hit the surface and you breathe in instead and it's just a bad time. Um, so, so, so picture the same. We, we, have to get, we have to get this difference between inhaling and exhaling. Uh, because if we only inhale, if all we do is hang out with the same Christian friends and we never open our lives and set our tables for our neighbors far from God, then there's no fresh life flowing into the church through our gospel preaching. It's only a matter of time before the church is spiritually dead. And same thing for ex. If we only exhale... If all I do is spend time with people far from God, it's great to have best friends that aren't Christians. I hope we do, all of us. And never actually, but, but if we never actually commit to being vulnerable where I can hold you accountable, you can call me higher in Christ and I'm open to being corrected and my sin being lovingly called out and I can be called higher. Sure, if all I hang out with are people far from God, I can be a very safe space for non-church friends, but it's only a matter of time before I'm a dead space. So uh, we need to breathe. So a big question that I'm gonna start and end with today is how are you breathing? What are the signs of inhale and exhale in your practice, in your weekly rhythm? Breathing in, vulnerable community, a space to be called higher, to call sin, sin, and blessing, blessing, and Jesus, Lord. And then breathe out, openness, safety for the stranger, for the person wandering, for the poor, your table's set. Where are these inhales and exhales happening? And today we inhale community. Next week we talk about exhaling um, because we believe the Holy Spirit is leading Park Hill Church deeper into both, which means we see the difference, right? So, so today and next week we're looking to the Gospel of Luke. Greg, he read from Luke 6, and um, we're going to look at a lot of Luke <laughs> for, the, for this week and next week. Why Luke? Uh, how many of you know that there's four biographies of Jesus in the Bible called Gospels? That's what they are. You heard about the Gospels, did, but they're, they're actually ancient biographies of eyewitnesses. And one of them was written by a physician named Luke, who paid close attention to how people describe Jesus. There's no, so Luke was right there with dozens of eyewitnesses. There's not necessarily any evidence that he was a firsthand eyewitness, although he may have been to Jesus. But he had very close fellowship for years with Peter and John and James. And we have evidence of this in Acts. And he pays close attention to something uh, that's unique amongst the gospel writers. 
The other biographers talk about a lot of things, but Luke zeroes in on this, that, that, that Jesus was uniquely filled with the Spirit. Like Luke, is, he hones in on Jesus's partnership with the Holy Spirit. And so Luke presents Jesus as this perfectly Spirit-filled Son of God. Even from his birth, look at the beginning of Luke on the screen. Uh, the angel answered Mary, Jesus' mom. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then Jesus grows up and John the Baptist, who knew who Jesus was better than anyone in the world at the time, John the Baptist tells everybody what Jesus's job is gonna be. Hint, has a ton to do with the Holy Spirit. Look what John says. He answered them all. He publicly says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you, immerse you, not in water, but in this person. Jesus will immerse you in the Holy Spirit and fire. And so according to John the Baptist, Jesus came to cover everyone who follows him in God, in the, in the presence and power that animated him. It's a promise. And, and so, but first Jesus has to get himself immersed, right? So five verses later, Jesus goes to John the Baptist, verse 21 of Luke 3. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. That's a unique Jesus perk. He gets physical Holy Spirit doves. We don't. But we still get the Spirit, just not in like a... That's awesome. I, I wish I got that. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So identity affirmed in his love. You guys, what we're about to discover, everything Jesus gets here except for a literal bird... <laughs> The actual, but the, what's the greater reality behind the dove, the person of the spirit and the declaration of your belovedness, you get this. When you follow Jesus and you say, Jesus is the Lord of my life, I believe he is everything he said he was. Suddenly the father's beloved declaration of identity that, that Jesus got, you get. Everything that happened to Jesus suddenly happens to you. And now your identity is affirmed and the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the Father says, I love you and am so pleased before you lift a finger, before Jesus did any of his works or signs or wonders or miracles or teaching, the Father said, I loved you first. Do you know that the Father says this of you? Do you know this? Do you believe this in your bones? Because you can, because it's true. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is now the truest thing about you. That's the language we like to use around here. My friend Dave Lomas wrote a book called The Truest Thing About You, and, and I've, I can't unsee that. This is what that is. Not only do you get the Holy Spirit's power, but you get the Father's identity of belovedness. So, so you, have, you have it all, you guys, and because Jesus went first. And then after this, there's a couple, more, a couple more verses we're not gonna get into where Jesus is led into the desert to have a tough time with Satan, but the Holy Spirit led him there, you know, his temptation. 
And then the Spirit brings him back. And it says in the second part of that same chapter, uh, Jesus returns to his hometown by the power, in the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit sent him into a tough time, and then the Spirit fills him to come home. And here's what he does when he gets home. You ready for this? He walks into church. So he walks into church, uh, and it's a synagogue, same thing, the assembly. We use the word church, comes from the same word that synagogues were named after, the, the ecclesia, the assembly. And he walks into the gathering of all the people in his town, and he kind of acts like he owns the place all of a sudden. And, and he opens up a scroll, and, and look at this verse. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me, confidence, because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that God is good to those who trust him. And he rolls up the scroll. I love this scene. It's like so, so boss. I love what Jesus does here. He rolls it up, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. Everyone's eyes are on him. Like, what's he gonna do next? He's just absorbing their gaze confidently. He just looks at everyone's eyes. <laughs> For, I don't know how long he waited in the silence, like a full Mike Pilavachi two minutes of silence. I don't know what it was. But, but, but then he says this, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In, in front of his family. So this wasn't just, he wasn't just a guest speaker, right? These are the people that watched him and changed his diapers and all of that. They're like, hey, this is... Think of being confident in your beloved status in front of your family. This is, the hard, this is the hardest crowd, you guys. And this is the Spirit's power for you. Confident in the Father's love for you in front of the most awkward crowd. The most intimate Thanksgiving meal. The most difficult, relationally tense Christmas Eve. And Jesus is like, I'm Messiah and this is why I'm here. And everyone who follows me is going to get a portion of my ministry and my power. Everyone. And so Jesus does it all by the power of the Spirit. He invites us to do it by his same power, same power. Um, and, and so how does he invite us to do it? Okay, so he invites us to do it, but how? And what's the, uh, what's the forum? Where's the space where we can practice the power of Jesus? Is it like my work, my office, my home? My, well, yeah, yes to all that, but Jesus chooses a specific medium in which we can practice the way of Jesus in power. And we call it community. He calls it disciples, same thing. And here's, here's where he picks them. He chooses his disciples two chapters after his great identity statement. Greg read it, we're gonna read it again. Luke six, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, who he also designated apostles. And you can read the rest of the names. We already read them, but that's what Jesus did. Say hello to Jesus's community group. This is his, this is his spiritual family. This is discipleship context. This is the forum in which the power of the Spirit will primarily be manifest for the transformation of life. This is it. 
And these covenant disciples, this new community now has clear expectations to ultimately become like their rabbi. This isn't just a group of friends. It's great to be friends with your community group. We advocate friendship. <laughs> friendship is a wonderful thing, but a community of covenant disciples is not necessarily the same thing as a group of friends. This is why we appreciate and advocate diversity in our community groups at Park Hill Church. We, we think Jesus wants to heal and unite family across ethnic divisions, ideology divisions, age gaps, everything from between singles and marrieds, children, elderly, everything. God wants to create family out of everyone uh, who wants to trust in him. Everyone belongs in the same space. That's the whole point of Galatians that we nailed, I think, for the first part of this year. And so, and so uh, we're all, the thing we have in common is that we want to we wanna become like the one. That's why Jesus' community is radically inclusive. Everyone is invited and radically exclusive. We're becoming like one person. Not one group or one dominant culture, one person. We're all bringing our whole selves to become like this one person in equality. And so, and so this means all of us are learning a lot and unlearning a lot, like the disciples, learning a lot and unlearning a lot from families of origin and previous ideologies that they held that they're realizing, oh my gosh, this does not align. And there'll be difficult days and beautifully vulnerable days all to be sent one day. As apostles, Jesus says, sent ones to go then make more communities. This is who we are. It's who we've always been, you guys. And so I want to draw your attention to one thing Jesus does. I want you to notice the first thing he does just before choosing the 12. Did you see what he did? Anybody notice? Prayed. It says the word pray twice. He went up on a mountain to pray, and then he went all night and prayed. Same word, two different tenses. Luke really wants us to get something. Jesus is depending on the Holy Spirit to lead him into community. Jesus is depending on the Spirit. He's like, God, go before me. I know it's going to be messy, and it's, there's going to be unmet expectations and managing relational tension, and it will be awkward for God knows how long. I need your power for this. So if Jesus knew he needed the Spirit to lead him into committed disciple community, which is what we call our community groups at Park Hill, that's the primary context for discipleship. We don't have side, you know, one-on-one -on -one D groups or centralized life groups. or We have communities. And so if Jesus knew the Spirit had to be the one to pave the way, how much more do we? Because Jesus knew these 12 would be the 12. I'm here thick and thin. I'm here for your mess and you're here for mine. Jesus didn't have many messes. That's one way he's different than us. But, uh, but they would be family. It's not based on blood anymore. It's not based on marriage anymore. Family isn't based on the old ways in this family. But as Luke puts it in Luke 8, family is now based on whoever hears the word of God and practices it. This is family for Jesus. Because Jesus knew the primary metaphor in the New Testament, that the primary metaphor for church this church he was building, it would not just be church. It would not just be a synagogue. It would be brother and sister. Terms that were only used for blood family in that day. 
This is revolutionary. We're, we're numb to it now. We're used to, I don't know if you grew up in a church, it's like, Brother Joseph, Sister Sarah. I don't know if you grew up in that. It's very normal. Now, back then, unheard of. A family was the tribe that wars the other tribe if resources are compromised. A family is me and my blood relatives and maybe my slaves and, and my house, and we will war your family. That was family. Siblings were just blood. And, and joining families was marriage. And now Jesus is saying, no, actually, that's not, that's not the way it's going to work from here on out. Without diminishing marriage and blood, without, without demonizing those things, he now elevates spiritual family to a place that's equal. And sometimes he's like, hey, <laughs> the gospel may actually put you at odds with blood family that denies the gospel. So, so yeah, the, Jesus is creating this new entity and he's feeling, here's what I'm trying to say. Jesus is feeling the weight, the gravity. And he, he knows it's gonna be hard and messy and worth it. And so he's depending on the spirit by praying through the night, all night. Have you ever prayed through the night about anything? I almost did once. <laughs> I tried to when we were considering a really, really big move and it ended up being the right move. I prayed for like almost the whole, I had to sleep at the end. I'm like, I had to sleep. And uh, it was up on a mountain in, the, in Twin Peaks at the old Calvary Chapel Twin Peaks camp. We're praying about whether to move into a whole new community. It was really a very similar thing. Leave one church to move into another with our leadership involved in the conversation. I'm like, man, you don't just, you don't just move families. Um, and so I went up on Strawberry Peak. I don't know if you've ever been to, been to the San Bernardino Mountains, but I parked up there by the cell phone tower and I just prayed. I read the whole Gospel of Mark and prayed. And then I went back to our cabin at like 7 a.m. and slept till 9. <laughs> so I like still slept. But, um, but, but I've, I've never, Jesus felt the gravity of this moment to the point where a serious prayer, a prayer venture was required. And so here's what I'm asking you right now. Is this how you approach your community at this church? Gravity, commitment, you think through the implications. You realize thick and thin. Blood, sweat, tears, here for it. And you're here for mine. Is this how you approach community or your Park Hill community? You're like, this community is the primary place I'm being called higher regularly. There's nowhere else. I mean, I have friends that call me, but I don't really have to tell them the truth because they rarely call me. But, but maybe you're like, this community, this is where I'm inhaling the atmosphere. I'm breathing. I'm breathing here. And I'm praying here. And eventually confessing my deepest brokenness here. Eventually. Because the only way to heal relational wounding and brokenness is sadly through relationships, which ends up being victorious. But it's also what you're reacting against. How do I get out of that mess? Jesus invites you in to community. You need the Holy Spirit for this, guys. But Jesus knew this. He's like, I need the Spirit for this. All night in prayer. These 12 will be the 12. So the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into committed spiritual family for change, for discipleship. This is one of the signs of the Spirit's presence in the church. This is breathing. Do you show up to community? Like, not only do I need connection, but I like 
want to be a catalyst for it. Like, I'm contributing something. In fact, community night is tomorrow, Tuesday night. Oh, Monday, I'm taking five minutes before dinner and just saying, Holy Spirit, come, me alone praying. Tomorrow I'm gonna be with so-and-so and such-and-such, and and I want a word that will enrich, enliven, and lift up their lives. I'm there to be used by God. I need you now. I'm desiring to be a catalyst. Holy Spirit, come. This is Jesus. Is this us? It's not me, most honestly, (laughs) not that level. Most community nights, I'm like, man, today was hard. I'm going to be late (laughs) to community. Uh, That's real, but like Jesus is calling me higher as I'm preaching. Will, Will we all let him call us higher in this moment? This is one of the signs of the Spirit's presence in the church. God's kids opening their lives to one another in love and saying, yes, I need you and and you need me. I'm going to be audacious and say, you need me. Uh, And I want to celebrate your wins. I can't wait to hear you celebrate my wins. And we're going to commit to the scriptures and the practices of Jesus. I'm going to pick you up when you fall and you're going to call me higher when I sin. And I need you to do this for me. This is called discipleship. And when that's forming in a church, that's a sign that the Spirit is present. Because this is forming around Jesus. And Jesus is perfectly filled with the Spirit. You see how that works. So I'm asking you, is that environment of trust, do you, is there an environment like that that exists in your regular rhythm? So fast forward in Jesus' life, he rises from the dead after he's crucified for sins. His community scattered, by the way, bailed. And then Jesus brought them back with his loving revelation of his resurrected body. And, and, then, and then Jesus sends the Spirit himself after they wait for power, the God, the Father and God, the Son, send God the Spirit at Pentecost to, to flood their lives with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, just like Jesus got like a visible dove they got something cool too. They got flames of fire over their heads with a, with a mighty stormy wind sound to accompany it. That would be so nice. It would be terrifying, but it would be really just, I don't know, it would be kind of nice. We, it happens differently in different places. Some of, some of us still hear stories of it happening in similar ways with manifestations that are visible and audible. Um, this is how it happened for them. And, and G- Jesus sends the Spirit. There's visible, audible manifestations of the Spirit's presence. You can read all about it in Acts 2. Highly recommend you read that this week, Acts 2. Um, But here's why I'm saying this. Even with the manifestations, even if you got a dove at your baptism, even if you got a wind and fire during your next community night of listening prayer, it's like, even if you got that, that same church needed several letters from head honcho apostles to be reminded of who they are. So so like one of my pastors growing up, Chuck Smith at Calvary Costa Mesa, uh, my, he was my dad's boss. He started the whole Calvary Chapel movement. He, he used to say, and everyone loved when he said it, why do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And everybody waited because it was like his thing he always says. <laughs> and he's like, why do we need to be filled? If we already have the Spirit, why do we need to be filled? Keep being filled. Because we leak. That's what he used to say. And, and that was a very simple yet profoundly true little axiom for the whole mode of operation between God's people and God's spirit in the New Testament, they receive 
a radical outpouring. And they can always remember that they have the spirit and that they had that moment. And yet they need letters, they need scripture, they need confession of sin, they need constant practice to remind themselves who they are and say, Holy Spirit, come more, Lord. When we say more, more, Lord, Holy Spirit, come more. We're not saying, God, you're withholding your presence. How dare you? We're saying more awareness on our part, more evidence that you are who you say you are that we can see. More availability from me, God, so that you can be more manifest in us. So it's not that God has withholded himself, withheld himself. It's that we lack the experience of his presence because of all the little hindrances. We say more, Lord. He's like, all right, let me show you what in you might be actually hindering the process. And we say, yes, thank you for that revelation. I confess that. I bring that to you. I bring that to the table. I bring that to my community. More, Lord, more. And so, 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 Paul writes a letter to try to get the church to say more, uh, to try to get the church to remember who they are. And many of his letters do this. Probably the most complex letter is Romans. The book of Romans, uh, you, it, it's 16 chapters long, incredibly rich and deep and complex. Suffice it to say, it all builds up to chapter 12. And all his arguments about how we're saved and the sin that we're saved from and how creation is groaning for the day when God's redemption will come and all this beautiful thing, this, this new heaven, new earth thing that's coming. Uh, it's, it's all building up to this moment where Paul can say, because of all of that, because of all of that, live as family. <laughs> the whole thing builds up to be the family you know you are. And, and it starts here. And I'm gonna read this. I'm, I'm gonna read the whole chapter we're coming up on the end of this talk, and then, and then Aaliyah is, I'm going to invite Aaliyah up in a bit to kind of put some practical meat on these bones, because she's pastor of community formation. She has tons of heart for this. Uh, and so, but before we get there, ask yourself this as we read. As Paul writes How to Be Family, where is this happening in your space? Where are you able to do this stuff? Or are you? Are you breathing? Are you inhaling the presence of Jesus? So that's the question we bring to this chapter. He says, therefore I urge you, family, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, here's the only comment I'm going to make before I read the rest. I always read verse 1 highly privately and individually. Growing up, I was a worship leader since I was a teenager. I've been doing music ever since in the church. And I've been to a million worship leaders conferences where this was the theme verse for the worship conference. And I always heard it and just assumed it was like, Lord, I, I want to I burn as a living sacrifice. I just never quite understood how. <laughs> how do you present your body a sacrifice? Is it like you sing louder? Like your hands go a little higher? Or you kneel more? Maybe you actually kneel in church. You're one of those guys. Um, what makes you more of a living sacrifice? And what I was doing was separating verse 1 from the chapter. The whole rest of the chapter tells you how to bring your body to God, and it's by being the body with you and me. 
loving one another is well. Loving one another well is the proper worship. So watch, verse two. Let's read through. Where is this happening in your life? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. Next slide. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body, watch what he does with body. Verse five, so in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Next slide. There it is. Hate what's evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, passion, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Where is this happening for you? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And finally, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Are you breathing? Who are you breathing with? Can you identify this space where you can live out these things? This is the kind of community the Holy Spirit wants to animate in Park Hill Church. Defined by scripture and spirit and healing the sick and raising the dead and loving well, lifting up the poor and bringing justice to the city, like the gates of power, the places 
that hold social status, bring, crying out for justice there. When the body of Christ breathes in discipleship and community by the power of the Spirit, that's what it looks like. It looks like family. So I hope you're hearing that question and taking it to heart. Where are you breathing? What, where's your breathing space? Next week, we talk about exhaling. How are you taking all that you have in Christ and creating welcome for the stranger in hospitality? Uh, but today, uh, so to bring home this idea about community and discipleship and all of that, we have someone, I already mentioned her name, someone on staff whose job title is literally Pastor of Community Formation. And so uh, please give it up for Aaliyah Persley. Yeah, so just to set the table, as many of you know, basic rhythms of Park Hill, we gather on Sunday and we scatter all throughout the week in communities all over the city. And I don't know how many, there are over 30 communities now or something. Yeah, 36. Yeah, so 36, dang. Um, so at, at, at Park Hill, we don't, I think I said this already, we don't have affinity-based specialized groups that we centralize, like surf group on Saturday and basket weaving group on Thursday night or whatever. We don't, we don't do specific things. We don't even have men's or women's. Uh, if, if and when we do, the first one would be youth. Uh, but, but we haven't had that. For this very reason, like we felt uniquely called to being laser focused on the whole family together at the table. And that's nothing against churches that do it differently. We, there should be churches that do it differently, 100%. So my, my question, I'm going to ask Ali a couple questions. Thank you. And so, yeah, so just to put meat on the bones here, Aliyah, as, as we're stepping into kind of a new, um, yeah, it definitely feels like a new season. What is your heart for communities as pastor of community formation? What's your heart? Yeah, I'm actually so excited about today's teaching because Evan just walked us through Jesus being our example of how to form a community, a deeply formed community, um, and just showing us what that looks like. And actually kind of where Park Hill's vision for community picks up is right after that. So Jesus walks us through what it looks like doing life with disciples, and then the layers kind of go out from there. Um, And then right before he ascends into heaven, he says, I'm going to give you a helper better than myself. And he says, I want you to wait and I want you to pray. Yeah. Um, and that's what we see happen. The first couple chapters of Acts, that's what we're reading about. And, and the early church is waiting, and they're praying for a move of the Spirit. And then we see it break out, and it's beautiful, and it's the fulfillment of what Joel prophesied when he said, um, your sons and your daughters will prophesy and pray when the Spirit falls on them. And that's what we see. The day of Pentecost, that's what's happening. Um, and that's really where our kind of model for communities starts. And what we see happen when they're given the spirit is unity. Um, and in chapter two, it says they had everything in common. And kind of like Evan was saying, I don't, I don't think that they were meaning that this was a group of people committed to the same hobbies. Um, the early church was deeply unified, had everything in common in the spirit, and that's what he does. Um, so when we look at Park Hill communities, we want to be people who are main thing that connects us is the spirit 
and, and we speak into each other's lives and we see so much value in crossing generations and crossing life phases and everything. So our communities, yeah, they're pretty diverse. And um, yeah, so really our goal is that the spirit would break out in each group because like we see, there's kind of a couple different things in that second chapter of Acts. We see the gift of tongues, we see generosity, we see um, unity, all these big, huge, difficult things happening by the power of the Spirit. Um, but my favorite thing, actually, is how chapter 2 wraps up, and it says, they broke bread with glad and sincere hearts. Yeah. And, and they were committed to the apostles' teaching. And those things, while we have these beautiful, like, overarching, incredible transformational things happening because of the power of the Spirit, it actually was generally around a table, having food together and just being in relationship. So um, we want, we are seeking a move of the Spirit in our groups, but we see in Acts that we have this example, and absolutely from Jesus, that it starts here just breaking bread together. So good. Yeah, so on that, like looking, looking at maybe, maybe the last two years, maybe the last four years, but what has God been doing? Maybe give us like a state of the union almost. Like what has... God been doing? Tell stories if you want. And what is God doing now in communities? Give us like an update. Yeah, I could, I could camp out for a while because we have some pretty incredible communities that have served each other in ways that have just, I mean, honestly, like brought us to tears. We're like, you guys are doing it. You're being the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. And and it bursts out, you know, our groups start to serve each other and it like can't be contained to the group. So they start to serve the city. And I'm like looking at Milton and Siobhan, they like went and helped their neighbor um, who couldn't take care of their home and they took their whole group to do it. It's like, I could go for a pretty long time. Um, but at the beginning of the pandemic, there was this quote, and I'm so sorry, I don't remember where it's from, but it said, with great cultural unrest comes revival. And we kind of clung on to that as community leaders and as a staff a little bit, um, realizing that this is, a, this is kind of a pivotal moment. We've all just collectively been through something difficult. And you guys, this is where the spirit shows up and we see it in our communities. So we've seen it by people just serving each other through COVID. Since we have groups that have older and younger people, they were able to serve each other in beautiful ways. We had some older people that couldn't go to the grocery store in the beginning. So the young people are like, we're here, we've got you. We're going to run all your errands for you, um, which is incredible. Um, and then more recently, actually, I hadn't planned on sharing this story until this morning because it's fresh. So it's actually from my community group. Um, and it was a family conversation we had this week. So if you guys don't know Gavin Wickham, he's amazing. And I'm going to call him out and gas him up a little bit. He also has control of my microphone, so if it cuts out, he's like, no, you're not telling this story. <laughs> um, but this week was beautiful. He has so much relational equity in my mind with our group because he's been depositing for years into us and into our kids. And this started when he was 14, I don't know. 15. Um, and then this week he sat us down kind of and called us out and was like, you guys, I'm choosing to be here and I want more. Like I've been depositing into you and I want more deposit. And it was really a moment of like repentance for me. And that's what we want out of communities is to say, hey, I can show up every week and have a meal with you, but I'm not here for that. Like I'm actually here to be deeply formed by Jesus through the community. So, yeah. That's a big moment, Gav. So, yeah, we, uh, 
yeah, I wasn't expecting you to share that today when you did it at the first service either. And I just, yeah, he, he, he's, he's like, yeah, I know I'm like Evan's kid, but like, can I be like a contributing person? And can you, do you guys see me that way? If not, why not? Like, and it was a very powerful moment. And that's He's what, good. yeah. So, yeah. A, a, so another question, Aaliyah. For those who might not know what a community night is modeled like, how it goes, um, you might be here, you're like, what are we even talking about? So Park Hill Communities, what happens at a, at a night? What can people expect? Yeah. So we're seeking to be people that are connected and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And we do that. Um, a lot of different ways. And we want some radical transformation to happen. We want community to be a place of bearing burdens and sharing joy. We want it to be a place where we're celebrating life together, birthday parties, like all these things that happen in community that are so beautiful. Um, and those are those overarching things that we want. But actually what a community night looks like, because those seem kind of overwhelming. Like how do you just show up and go like, Tonight I'm gonna receive the gift of tongues. It's my first time here. Like that might not happen. I'd argue it probably won't. If it does, great, tell us please, because that's exciting. Um, but it looks like showing up. And here's the thing. I'm gonna try not to be like an annoying mother too much right now, but we can, me included, can tend to show up to community nights or anything in life and, and be ready to consume. We're looking for a deposit into our own soul. So what we're looking for right now in Park Hill communities is to do what Romans 12 is talking about, show up and know that you are a vital and functioning part of the body. We want you to show up ready to give a deposit to the people in your group. And what that actually looks like is bringing food. So you don't make your leader provide everything for you every week and lead the discussion and lead the prayer. You're showing up with a posture that is facing your community, ready to be the family of God. Um, just like Acts 2 talks about, everybody pitched in and there was no needy person among them. We want this for each little group all over the city. Um, so you'll share a meal together. Hopefully everyone contributes. And then you'll move into a discussion guide. What we want is it's not just another Bible study. We want you to take what happens on Sunday and go, how do I turn this into a lifestyle? Um, really doing what Jesus did in practice. And you work it out with your community. And then um, the last thing, and it's the most important part, is we pray together. We wait on the Spirit and we pray together. And that'll take a lot of different forms from week to week. Um, but ultimately, it's saying, Spirit, come. What do you want to do with this time? Sometimes it looks like confession. Sometimes it looks like listening prayer. Um, yeah, so that's what a night will look like. A meal together, a discussion, and a prayer time. It's very simple, and beautiful things happen. Yeah. Well, finally, I mean, begs the question, how do, how do you join one? Like, how do you get involved? And especially now, as we're kind of restructuring, yeah. how do people get involved in a community? Yeah, so we have recently made a shift. So there's a, there's a point of entry for communities. And the reason for that is because um, it's okay to show up to a group where you're going to hang out and have dinner, but we want these things that we see happening in Scripture. We want to be a community deeply formed by Jesus. And that's going to take um, actually communicating what you're signing up for. So Basics is a space. It's a class that we offer three times per year where we go through the vision and the beliefs and, um, yeah, what communities are. And we have a time of Q&A so that you can actually ask those deep questions you have. Um, we, we had a great one a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And we, the reason for this 
uh, entry point, this basics class, is because we want you to show up ready for what you're entering into. It's, yeah. a, it's an ask. So just so you know, this is a big ask that you would see yourself as a contributing member and you would know what you're signing up for because we know that right now the Spirit's calling us deeper. Yeah. Um, and you can't just show up. Community is hard and it takes time and it takes intentionality and it takes commitment. So we're asking for that from you. And we're so confident that the Spirit's going to show up for you and for your community. And we're excited to see what happens. Amazing. Thanks, yeah. Aaliyah. So good. <clears throat> so yeah, the only thing I want to add to that, there's, there's a very practical snag that we have recently hit. And it is, there are not enough leaders to start the communities that are needed for everyone that wants to join right now. So here's the call. Lead. We just read Romans 12. To him who it is given to lead, do it diligently. To, I would add to her who, is, who it is given to lead, she better do it diligently. Like we are calling all potential leaders to step up and consider maybe my home, if I'm not even a leader of a community, maybe my home is a place of hosting so that another leader has a space that's welcoming. Or maybe God is calling you to open your house and lead a community. What's involved in that? It used to be like a three to six month waiting process in a community where you sit and you wait. We just, we changed that this year where you take a pretty in-depth assessment, but it's just one assessment. It's, it's uh, instead of long and it's like, it's like quick and deep. So, uh, and, and then you process it with, with whoever, whatever leaders you want. And, and you discern, like Jesus on the mountain. He, only, he prayed one night. It was only one calendar day, right? But he went deep with the Spirit. Father, am I ready? Father, will you make me ready? That's all we're asking you to do. If God is moving on your heart at all, like I do want community, but I also have this weird urge, this nagging sense that I'd love to facilitate a space where people are being called higher. I'm kind of scared because I don't know what that involves. Do I have to have like a Bible degree or know how to be a Mike Pilavachi and like prophesy over people or whatever? Like the answer is huge no. You don't need either of those things. You just need a willing heart to serve and create a space for people to seek Jesus. That is it. And, and, and obviously do the assessment and process it with the leader. Uh, we would love to invite you to lead. We need leaders. We need leaders. Uh, if we had another basics class this today, we wouldn't have enough communities to place you because we need leaders to open those spaces. So how do you wrap up a sermon with a Q&A, very practical stuff? Here's, here's how we're going to do it today. We're going to come to the table, but I want to talk to three groups right now. Um, next week, we're going to talk about whew, exhale, hospitality. We're, and we're going to watch Jesus turn enemies into guests and guests into family. Um, but today... I know there's all kinds of different phases of life in this room, different ages, honestly, different mental, emotional makeups. Like, I just can't do a crowd, especially in a house I don't know. Listen, I get that, super legit feelings. Um, different relational status, married, unmarried, kids, no kids, different work schedules where you're like, I work nights. No, there's no communities at 10 a.m. Um, all these things are legit challenges, 
Uh, and I 100% totally get it. And I want to I wanna give you 100% permission to be in that be gentle with yourself moving towards Jesus phase. 100%. The body of Christ is beautifully diverse. And the Spirit may lead a community to start that's at 11 a.m. on Thursdays or something that will work with your schedule or whatever. Um, but let's be honest. If Jesus had to spend the whole night praying, um, he knew it was a big deal. This is a big decision. And so uh, I want to talk to three groups. Number one, for those who long for community, but it's never actually worked out. That's very real. I, I talked to folks like that once in a while here. And it's, it, makes me, it makes me sad and I feel so empathetic. And I'm like, oh, I want to remove all the obstacles for you. They're like, I want this, but it just hasn't worked. There's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, kindness in the church, welcoming atmosphere in the church, people that's following the spirit to invite the person on the edge. Um, but if that's you, you long for community, but it hasn't worked. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, with as much context of trust that I can muster, you are wanted here. And, and please reach out to me, to Aaliyah, to Sandy, to Matt, through the Connect Desk. We will see your email, even if it's just, it's been hard, even if that's all you send. My name's so-and-so, it's been hard. We, would, we value that like gold, and we'll lift you up in prayer on Monday morning for weeks to come and want to stay in dialogue with you. What, what, what would a community look like? What would that, how would that work for you? We want to talk. We want to talk. Second group, for those who struggle, you're not really longing for community. You're like, I just don't, <laughs> I'm the opposite of, I kind of just struggle with the whole idea for a number of reasons. Maybe you've been burnt by church relationships. My goodness, I resonate with that. And you're hearing all this about community. You're like, it's not that clean. To which I say, you're right, it's a mess. 100%. The hard truth from psychology is the only way to heal from relational wounds is through relational connection, but that's the very thing we're reacting against, and there's the horrific cycle, right? Which is why we need the Spirit. Welcome to trauma, right? That's the, that's the cycle of trauma. And we need the Spirit to come in and illuminate, first and foremost, behold my beloved daughter, behold my beloved son, you are in Christ. You are my beloved. I am well pleased with you before you freaking join any community. I am so well pleased with you. Before you do anything, before you join a serving team or sign up to whatever, walk for water, whatever, I love you. And receiving this. Um, we need the Spirit for that. And, and I just want to say this to you. If that's you, you're just struggling, struggle freely. <laughs> Like, be gentle with yourself and struggle here freely. This is the place for it. We love you. We're here for whenever you are ready. Meanwhile, we'd love to pray for you after gatherings. So we we're going to have prayer up here um, in a moment. Feel free just to receive prayer. Have someone lay their hand on your shoulder and just pray the love of God over your life. Just be free to be gentle with yourself. So group one, group two, group three um, maybe you don't fit those first two. You're like, I'm happy in community or I'm just not feeling any tension of any kind and you're not struggling. Um, then I, I want to say this to you. Uh, jump ahead to next week and practice hospitality today. Get your antennas up. Look toward the fringe. Invite people maybe to a Mother's Day lunch. You're like, hey, what's your story? What's your mom's story? And invite them to whatever. Like whatever it looks like today. 
uh, I want you to practice hospitality. We literally just read it, Romans 12. What does a community do? Romans 12, verse 13, two words, practice hospitality. That's everything we're talking about next Sunday. Don't wait a week. Reach out to someone now. They're all over the place in this church, folks looking to be connected with. Uh, bring them in, coffee, whatever. A walk in the neighborhood, whatever it looks like. So next week, again, hospitality for now. We're gonna come to the table and have a time of prayer. So if you could stand and pray, we're gonna stand together and pray together and sing together together.